Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the Hollywood Life podcast, and I'm here with my co-anchor Ali Stagnita. Hi, Ali. Hi, guys. And also, really quick, before we begin today's interview, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast, hit the review button, and let us know what you think about today's interview. Thank you, Ali. We are looking forward to your reviews. And now, talk about great timing. We've got a very special guest today who knows a lot about presidential inaugurations. And of course, we're about to have another one. Welcome, Stephanie Winston Walkoff. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, thanks, Bonnie and Allie. So great to see you and thank you for having me. So great to see you. And the reason that you know so much about presidential inaugurations for those in who are listening, who don't know who Stephanie is, is that Stephanie was best friends with um, Melania Trump for many, many years, like at least a decade, if not longer. And because she was friends with her, and Stephanie had a lot of experience doing uh, big events. Um, She worked at Vogue. She produced all kinds of fantastic events for Vogue, including the Met Ball. Melania asked her to come and to help her to prepare for the presidential inauguration and also to help executive produce 18 inaugural events, including some of the most glamorous balls that happened. And here we are on the verge of another but very different inauguration. So we have so much to talk about today, Stephanie. Yes, we do. (laughs) Listen, how does it feel looking back four years at the Mm -hmm. time when you were you had to find a, a perfect outfit for Melania for the inauguration. You, you were the one who, did, who got the designer. Tell us his name, who did the beautiful blue dress she wore. Oh, for the, for the swearing in uh, yes, Ralph Lauren. Couldn't get more iconic, more American than Ralph Lauren. Exactly. Couldn't have been more iconic than Ralph Lauren, beautiful blue dress. Um, with a big wrap and you know now you're so when you look back on all of that time how does it feel to you what was it like planning that inauguration with 18 events well I have to tell you I was told that there were going to be two balls and a dinner that turned into 18 events so I have to just start there and saying the biggest mistake of my life was ever saying yes to doing anything (laughs) being involved in the inauguration and with Melania and then at the White House just just putting it out there. I did this out of friendship, not politics. I knew nothing about politics. So I just want to start by saying how important it is that politics um, and, you know, any type of um, 
empathy and at wanting to do good in your life, it, they just don't go together. Um, and so I made the biggest politics. mistake by thinking that I could separate politics and ethics. Um, now, but back to- Go ahead. No, so back to the, so I just wanted to put the, that out there. Um, but black, back to Ralph Lauren. So, you know, when I first saw Melania at her apartment right after Donald had been um, elected, I, of course, was giddy. I'm more gregarious. Melania's more quiet. At, but I was jumping up and down. I was like, can you believe your first lady? So I thought my involvement was actually going to be more about fashion than it was going to be about planning the inauguration and then helping her set up the East Wing. And I did believe that she should be wearing all American designers. And she was really set on Karl Lagerfeld. I mean, that was, it was like, and I, and I say in my book, it's like a little bunny rabbit to her. It was like that white suit meant so much, but Ralph came through and the enormous respect and appreciation to have someone like Ralph that I called for this favor, for this woman, because she was representing the United States of America, was a big ask. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he did it is tremendous. And I love him. And he's been someone that I've looked up to my whole life as a mentor as well. You know, the worst thing about it was that there were five pieces that Ralph made, right? You see the jacket, you see the, the, the dress. But what, you're, remember the gloves. The gloves, but there was also a hat and there were boots and there was a purse. I mean, it was fantastic. And I got a message from them that day. Is she all set to wear all pieces? And I have to say, again, I was so busy that I wasn't looking at my texts. Um, but when I texted her about it, she was like, do not tell them I'm not wearing those three other pieces. And it sort of hit a little nerve. You know, I was sort of like, really? I can't tell them, number one. And number two, why wouldn't you wear it? And all of a sudden, you've just made this, you know, historic decision when you've had this designer who went through, as you know what it takes, to create such a magnificent outfit in such a short period of time. You know, you wrote, you um, wrote a book about your relationship with Melania that became a huge bestseller. Uh, and you wrote this after you left the White House. It's called Melania and Me, The Rise and Fall of My Friendship with the First Lady. You guys got that? Rise and Fall of the Friendship. And it is absolutely a fantastic book. Like I sat down to read it. I couldn't stop reading it. I think I like almost you know stayed up all night to finish it. It's so engrossing, but why did your friendship fail after you were there for her? Uh, you know, you helped her get, get started in the, in the White House, set up the whole East Wing, which is the area where all the First Lady's offices are. What happened? A lot happened. Um, I mean, a lot. But I think I had to start by just saying, you know, listen, she's married to the 45th President of the United States of America, and she is number two in command. And that, I think, is enough said. Um, but I had to learn the hard way that Melania was just like Donald. And I didn't know that. And it was something that was- How long had you known? Um, like how long had you guys been friends? Well, no, I knew Melania for almost 15 years. And we had lunches, you know, once a month, we would meet just the two of us. Once in a while, we'd meet with a few other people, but it was really just the two of us. I didn't spend time with Donald. I wasn't part of their social circle as it's been discussed. And, you know, we had this connection where you know, she was always so confident and always so, um, you know, she always felt 
amazingly great about herself. So I would leave feeling confident and, 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 and she would just let me talk and she would listen and she would give me this like grounded advice. Just, you know, when I would say something about like my husband playing golf on the weekend, well, just let him do what he's going to do. He's just going to do it anyway, which is sort of the same thing that she said when, you know, the tape came out was look, he's going to do what he's going to do anyway, Donald. So everything was sort of, um, she, she, she had rules of life that I didn't have. And I always felt like she was that stronger, more confident sister that I never had. And she knew the players that I was talking about in the fashion industry. And um, our relationship was never about, um, you know, going out and, and spending time with, with friends. And it, we were just the two of us. And so we never spoke politics. It was a very different um, time. We would speak about our children. Um, but we would speak about our relationships, but it was always um, just a thoughtful, caring time together. And I, I have to say, she was magnetic. She really was. I mean, we would be talking and there was this connectivity where she would laugh so hard. And I discussed it in my book, Melania and Me, of her eyes would tear up with laughter. And to see that in someone who, again, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing on television, because it was the complete, complete contrast of the woman I knew. However, I think maybe what I really knew was maybe, you know, not her character, but more of her performance, her perception. And I had to learn the hard way that she is a Trump. Like I say in the book, a Trump is a Trump is a Trump. Melania's friend gets $26 million. And that's the headline that went around the world. Friend gets $26 million. It was never redacted. So and never fixed. It was just changed later to the firm gets $26 million. So, you know, you can imagine I was stripped of my, everything that I believed in was gone because I believe in the truth and I believe in, in, in doing the right thing. And I asked Melania, I said, can you please come out and tell the truth? And she wasn't allowed because she had told me there were investigations into the presidential inauguration committee. People believe that she was getting kickbacks. Like literally that she, people thought she was getting kickbacks. So they had to make sure they had to mitigate any way of negative press away from the first lady. And that meant someone needed to go. And the person who had to go was the person that kept calling things out over and over. I mean, I was a broken record. Right, but Stephanie, and even the, the money that was paid though, that was because you were paying, explain, like that was because you were paying for all of the food and the catering and the waiters and like this was all going through your company well, for all the costs for these events, right? Look, I started out as an independent contractor, which means I was going in as one person thematically to oversee the creative. It ended up being, much, much more. Um, four people from another company and I joined forces and created Wiz Media Partners. The company that produced the broadcast productions, and this is important to understand, it was a company called Inaugural Productions. And I have to say, we were fortunate because we didn't know there was even a broadcast that the king of broadcast, Mark Burnett, came on and decided to make sure that we had the best team. And that team had worked for Mark Burnett for many years. And inaugural productions was, there was a pre-approved budget of $25 million. Mm -hmm. They knew that they were gonna do two two live hour broadcasts um, as you know, so the, the two two hour live broadcast at the Lincoln Memorial, 
as well as the two hour broadcast at the convention center. So for those two events, the inaugural productions was paid $25 million out of the $26 million that was- uh, So that's, yeah. So there's this big oh, misperception. But absolutely. So and as, but aside from that, as you were working with her, you really wanted her to develop her program for children, be best, like help. You wanted to help her help children, right? No, and so, so you were trying to get make that happen, but things really went wrong in that area too, that kind of split you apart, right? Or made you was, not happy. You know, that was the hardest part of all of it, creating this initiative, this platform for with Melania and with these leading experts in the field of social emotional learning. And I was working very closely with Yale Center of Emotional Learning. And together we were all working on this platform and it was ready to go. And the fact that so much was promised yet nothing was accomplished because I had to be let go. Um, and I think it was also usurping Melania's ability and power to have a platform because there was no one around her to help her after I was gone. Because once I left, everyone left with me. Um, the, you know, I guess I want to say the politics and apathy are, don't, you know, go together. And unfortunately, maybe I was more, had more interest in, and, and the determination to help children understand the importance of what's missing today in our society. So Melania's view what's of cyber- but Wait, what did you want them to understand what's missing? Well, you didn't, she was trying to supposedly fight against cyber bullying, right? Or bullying in general? Right. So that was where she started with. And we grew out this, 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 the umbrella, we really thought about addictive behavior which was never announced, was never discussed because the West Wing didn't want that to be the conversation. But when you talk about social emotional, you have to talk about your emotions. And Melania was talking about more about, you know, cyberbullying, but we needed to discuss not intervention when you're 12, 13, 14. We needed to discuss intervention when you're three years old. And that's what this program is. And it actually, we visited with schools it is from top down, bottom up, superintendents, teachers, students, families. You teach children how to feel, how to express themselves, how to, before you press that button, before you send something to someone, think twice before you do that. It is, a, you know, it's almost like creating a charter amongst the students and the teachers and your family. And it creates the ability to empathize with one another and to understand one another. So it was really trying, you really wanted to help. Sorry, I, go I ahead. I have a question. I, I need to ask this. Did she understand, and, and in that, when you were in the, that position as well, did you understand the fact that her husband was doing that though and living completely against? I mean, was it like a joke? <laughs> like, because it came off yeah, as so, a joke. Well, well it, I mean, it's, it's so. Um, you know, words without actions is what it ended up being. And yes, you are right. It was, that's why the umbrella needed to much be, be much larger than cyberbullying because her husband who was the number one cyberbullier in the world. Right, like so we have these issues is because of him now. Yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. And so, however, 
knowing that we had the ability with scientific evidence-based research that had been done by the Aspen Institute, Castle, Yale, all these working together to create a better environment by, again, teaching skills to children, giving them a tool set of how to deal with their emotions at the age of three in preschool. Now, that is all about children. That had nothing to do, again, with adults. We were pulling away from the Donald Trump cyberbullying. That's what we were trying to do. Melania was willing to come out and say, look, I know he's the number one cyber, like I get it, but let's start preventing this from happening. And so we really thought, or I really thought naively, it taught me so much about the importance of how it can change um, the way we speak to one another, the way we interact with one another. I think I was chosen and picked and approved probably by Donald when I was working at Vogue. As a friend. Because, as a friend, because I was the only friend, but I had to, it, it was strange if you think about it, because here I was, you know, it, it didn't sort of, um, our friendship grew, but we really got close at the end of 2015. Right. So I was a great person to give access. You know, people say, oh, you know, you want to be with a Trump. The reality is my exposure to what I had access to and what I was working on um, and the productions I produced gave them access, not vice versa. Because you were working on that. Absolutely. And, you know, it legitimized who they were. I mean, being on that red carpet was not a mistake on Fifth Avenue at the Met Gala when Donald proposed to Melania. Let's be real about it, okay? He knew that that real estate on Fifth Avenue was worth more press, worth, worth millions. You can't pay for that. So what did he do? He drives up and he proposes to Melania and it's all over the red carpet. Of course, you know, it's on the front page of the New York Post. Meanwhile, the rollout of who Melania was, right, was done through Vogue, right? Her cover, she finally got the cover. To say the cover of Vogue, that legitimized her. It legitimized him to say, I've and got a cover model. Wedding dress on the cover, right? Right, right, right. But again, it was building up not just her, it was building not just her appearance, but as well as who she was as an individual, because Andre Leontali took her to Martha Graham. He well, took like her to different editor events. Vogue. Yes, editor at large, Andre Leontali and Anna, you know, she was invited to front row shows. And so by her being on the cover of Vogue for her wedding, um, you know, in her, in her gown before she was even wed was something that was an exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something, as you know, um, is something that people do enjoy seeing. But most importantly was preparing for the gala. And the and you know, I do in the book say it was a Mark Burnett production because there were phases. Like Melania had two dynamic decades. She first, her first dynamic decade was she, she you know, got a cover, she married Donald, she became an American citizen. I mean, and now look at her. She's the first lady of the United States of America. And it doesn't really get much better than that. Except for the fact that they've destroyed our democracy and that, you know, they, we've all learned who they really are. But in, in, anyone, in any other world, it's, it would have been an amazing, amazing, you know, uh, 
source. Yeah, it's true. Because she was like immigrant, came as a model and ended up as first lady. It's an amazing story. Amazing story. And I so desperately wanted that story to be told when Hervé Pierre, her stylist, was going to make her gown for the first dance of the ball that she and Donald were dancing to as, as first lady and president. Um, you know, compassionately and empathetically, I, I've known Hervé for, you know, decades. And when he was working for Carolina as his, you know, as her artistic director and to not tell that story, to not, you know, say that the two of them were both immigrants. And again, it's amazing. It's the American dream come true. So, and she forbid me from actually telling that story. So the story ended up being that, yes, Hervé and Melania collaboratively made her gown, which was a decision that, again, I needed a way to get her to understand American, 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 immigrant, immigrant story of a lifetime and the American dream come true. And the only way to convince her to do that was to say, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing if you and Hervé designed a gown together? And that's how it happened. But she didn't want to stress that she was an immigrant because of her husband's policies, right? She, I think, had her own reasons for not wanting to express that, not only because of his policies, but, you know, people were, and she discussed with me, you know, several times that people were always questioning about her visa and her immigration and how she became, you know, right. a citizen. And she showed her papers and she did everything right. And everybody else should do the same thing. Well, she didn't show her papers and she neither did Donald. So <laughs> yeah, she never showed her papers. He didn't show his taxes. Let's talk about the most famous thing that she ever wore. The, I don't really care jacket. When she went to the Southern border to visit the children who'd been separated from their parents, um, you know, when they crossed the border and then were put in cages. Like yeah. what? that H happened. Why did she wear that jacket? Okay. So as soon as I saw that image, I texted Hervé. So you had nothing to do. Like you had no I, idea she was going to wear this. I, like I was already gone. I was already oh. gone. Now you have, to, you have to remember, I spoke to Melania. I was gone on February 20th, actually February 15th of 2018. She and I spoke often and constant until December, 2000. January 1st, let's say until January 1st, 2019. So we had a lot of communication and my reaction to the jacket was first, I wanted to ask Hervé what the H happened. And he was still styling her, right? He was styling her. And he asked me, the first thing he texted me back was, is that a Photoshop? And I said, no, Hervé, this is real. And he goes, I've never seen that. And he started getting hate emails on his Facebook, on his Instagram. People were just, you know, discrediting him and telling, telling him awful things. He was distraught. He was on his way to Paris and he could not believe it. Melania said, well, he had nothing to do with it. So no big deal, right? So it wasn't a big deal for her to make sure that his um, reputation was taken care of, right? Anyway, Melania wore the jacket because she believed that if she hadn't worn the jacket, quote unquote, she would have only been on the news for two minutes. Jeez. Quote, unquote. Now, Melania is about attention, not intention. 
And that's what people have to understand. And that's what I had to come to learn. I said to Melania, because I genuinely believe when I spoke to her about it, I said, Melania, you wore the jacket because you, I don't care, Melania Trump is the first United States of America. And I'm going to wear this jacket because I don't care what anybody says about me, anybody says about what I'm doing, because I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to the border. I'm going to visit these children and I'm going to do the right thing. Well, that was the last thing that was on her mind because she had a, it, she, that, it was all about what she's going to not get. not about what she was thinking. Okay, her, her press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, said it was just a jacket. Donald's, you know, spatting about the fact that it's, it's for the, it was towards the media. Then another person, I think it was Stephanie again, it was towards the liberals. I mean, give me a break. The fact of the matter is, had she just said, had she actually felt that I'm going to wear this jacket because I don't care what anyone thinks about me, Melania Trump, she would have been a hero. I mean, it was shocking to me because it came to me so naturally when I asked her about it. And I even said to her, I would have jumped on you. I would have jumped. If I was standing there, I would have jumped on you. And it never occurred to her. You don't think it occurred to her that it would be read that I don't really care about the kids. Like, I don't really care that these kids are in cages because that's what it came out. It felt like I don't really care. I'm going, but I don't really care. Exactly. But that's, you know what, at the end of the day, that you're exactly right. Because for her to say, wow, they're given beds and they're given dressers and they're treated so nicely here, you know, that's what she was told by the patrol officers to repeat that when they're, you know, to say that they're treated better in those circumstances while they're sleeping on the floor in cages than where they were. It's, it's complicated to actually digest that and reason with that. So, you know, a lot of people say, I have some friends who are work out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As White House reporters, they say that um, she's a lot smarter than people give her credit for. Um, and, you know, some people are like, oh, she like hates Donald Trump. She can't be near him. Like all those things. Is she, she's smarter. She, she knows what she's doing. Let me tell you something about Melania Trump. I spent a lot of time. I slept at the White House. I had dinner with Melania and lunch with Melania and with Donald. They ha um, have a, actually a very close relationship. They discuss things very openly, but strategically. There is no screaming, yelling, fighting. I, or at least I never witnessed it. Um, there is a strategy in this relationship. You know, it's not just a transactional marriage. It's a marriage that is done where everything is planned out. And so the distractions that people are looking at first, you know, swapping away his hand, it's because shine the light over here so you don't see what's going on over there. They do, they have a purpose for everything that they're doing. This, and it's very hard to believe, but it's true. And the reality is, is that she knows exactly what's happening around her. She is very intellectually curious about 
where she's going, who she's visiting, what royal family, like she knows the information. Um, but I think that it's really important to also understand that she is his biggest supporter and she is the only person in the White House that will never shake in her boots with Donald. And she knew who she was marrying when she married him. She and got what why, she Right, and that's why she didn't really care when the stories came out about um, you know, the 16 women and about Stormy Daniels. Let me tell you, I said, oh my God, I said to her when I was on the telephone, I was like, I would have literally cut off, I shouldn't even be saying this, but I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I said, I don't know how you wouldn't just cut it off and, and how do you do this? You know, and it, she, and my, then my doorbell rang and I had gotten a, a, a delivery. She's like, oh my God, what'd you get? And I was like, oh, I got something from Metaporte. She's like, oh my God, what did you buy? And so the conversation just left. It was like no big deal, right? But when she doesn't want to talk about something also, so I would feel very, I felt, I felt very sorry for the times that things happened to her. And I would call her up at night or we'd, you know, signal one another. And I was there for her because I felt as a friend, don't you want to talk about this? Don't you want to, I mean, are you okay? Even if you want to talk about it, are you okay? And Melania always said, don't worry about me. I am just fine. I, she does not want sympathy from anyone. She doesn't, she doesn't want it. And that's why she doesn't share her emotions with anyone because by sharing any emotions with anyone, by telling you anything about her, which is what I did, opened the curtain to who Melania Trump really is, it, it unveiled the person that, was, that, that is inside that beautiful face, right? This was something that was built. She was the picture of perfection and she knew exactly what she was doing. For me to go and literally strip her of her identity that they created to tell the truth of who these people are is something that needed to be done because look, Ivanka is the same thing. They're beautiful on the outside, but they are, they are, their insides are not what I ever imagined. Now, did you ever, pardon? I asked if her and Ivanka, you know, there's always rumors that they don't get along. What's that like? Can I take a sip? Yeah. Yeah. I need some wine. <laughs> I know, I, I, wait, I'm gonna pick up my water. <laughs> my lips get so dry. I'm sorry, what was your question? Just before we get into Ivanka, I just wanna ask one question. Did you ever see them kiss, hug, do anything that's normally affectionate? You know, it's that's a really good question, Bonnie. Um, there's this understanding, I guess, but it's, it's more of a look. <laughs> like, it's more of a complimentary, like Melania's, I believe, their way of showing affection towards one another is her telling him how wonderful and great he is. I have to tell you, I, I, I was in the car with her. Um, you know, we'd be coming back to New York from DC and Donald was at a, at a rally. She was always his first phone call and he, always, no matter where she was. And the first thing he say, you could say, hey baby, how, how'd I do? 
Like he wants her approval. So that to him and to her is what I think their relationship is more about is she tells him how it is, but she also, again, make sure to elevate him and embrace what he's doing because that is who she is. And I didn't realize that, but when you see the, their, their eye contact and the seduction through that gaze, it's more about that than, than I think uh, anything else, but they, do, but the relationship on like you asked, like they come in and out of each other's rooms. They, you know, there's, there's, Well, I um, also, there's it's like not a normal relationship. Come on, it's not. No, did I ever see them French kiss? Absolutely not. <laughs> the relationship was clearly strained between Melania and Ivanka. Yes, definitely. I feel like you know. I mean, Steph and I were briefly just talking that it's kind of like um, the royal palace. You want to know, you know, would Kate Middleton be upset if Meghan Markle got to wear the crown jewels and things like that. So I'm really interested in what the relationship between Melania and Ivanka was like, because he was kind of daddy's, she's daddy's little princess. Listen, it, it is palace intrigue. Total palace intrigue. When you want to talk about, you know, backstabbing and friction and just everything that you can imagine, um, that, that that's how their relationship exists. I mean, Ivanka wanted to usurp Melania any way she could. I mean, she would be standing in the first lady's office if, 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 if she was allowed. I, mean, I remember one day I was literally lying on the floor sitting against a room because Jared's team was coming over to look at the East Wing. And I was told that by the chief of staff. I immediately took a yellow post-it note out and wrote chief of staff, you know, COS, communications office, um, FLOTUS office, uh, and posted it on all the doors so they would know this is the East Wing for the first lady of the United States. Now there were no budgets, there were no high you know, positions left when we got there. Ivanka and Jared took over and they took over before we, Milan even stepped foot in the White House. How much, like we know that Jared um, plays a big role in deciding policy, just like he's the one, I guess, that that worked with Donald and decided that there would be no national plan for the vaccines or for testing for anything coronavirus, that it was all going to be left to the states. So, but what about Ivanka? Like, is Ivanka, are her fingerprints all over all kinds of major policies? Look, Ivanka and Jared are Javanka. It's, and it's not a joke. I mean, they are two people that went to DC and believed that they could understand the circumstances and the system and the policies. Them, it's all about, you know, what do I get out of this? Not how do I help somebody else? Donald listens to them. And unfortunately, we've got hundreds of thousands of people dead We've got a virus and pandemic that has taken over. I mean, the, the worst thing that happened to our country was Jared and Ivanka going to DC because it stopped the experts, the people, the generals that should have been sitting there with Donald to actually tell him what the facts are versus what might be a good company, a private company that somebody else can invest in and you know 
bring that in towards making it more about business than about policy and protecting the American people. So from your point of view, you never saw like Ivanka, I mean, aside from Donald, but Ivanka and Jared ever think about what would be good for the American people or what even could ever, did anyone ever talk about like, how do we bring people together? The West Wing and the East Wing were completely separate. So there was no discussion about how do we make things better for the world, except for when I was originally working in the East Wing, I did have a lunch meeting with Ivanka to discuss what Melania was doing on her platform, as well as the first event that was going to be taking place at the White House. So it was International Women's Day. I, Melania, worked together with UN Women for Peace Association. We created an unbelievable event. Now Ivanka wanted to be a part of that event. She actually wanted to host the event with the First Lady. Melania traditionally looked into that and it never happened before. But at that time, you know, Ivanka was working with a few other individuals that were, you know, pushing her towards becoming more at the forefront. And Melania had to constantly battle that. And it was not an easy battle. So who won what battle? Melania won the residence. Melania made sure that the kids do not just come up to the house as they please, because it was a revolving door before she got there. To mean Ivanka and Jared. Yes, to, to everyone basically. The executive residence is the, you know, it, it's Melania's territory, it's her home. And she was sick and tired of everyone. I mean, everyone, including Ivanka and Jared, just coming and going as they pleased. But the office, the policy and the direction of where our country was going was all about Ivanka and Jared and what they wanted. Melania, I mean, we couldn't even figure out what a budget was to have an event. I had to, I literally offered to pay for soda and sandwiches to bring in this team of advisors that were working with us, including Tim Schreiber, including Yale, including Aspen Institute. I mean, could you imagine that I couldn't even find out if I could get, you know, $200. I mean, that's insane. Like it's weird because I mean, Michelle Obama was always doing events like all the first ladies were. You know what? Because it was run. They shut it down. They didn't want it to happen. They didn't want her to have any, again, why? I can't tell you why, but she fell in line. You know, there's something that happened a certain time that made her become, she stopped towing the line. She decided that she was just going to do what, what, what they wanted her to do. Now, the biggest problem when I was there in the beginning was the West Wing never told her what Donald was up to, right? So she didn't know where, what his plan was. West Wing was like you know, every, all the, his offices. Right, his offices, his scheduling, his staff, his advance. And then there was like 10 of us on the East Wing. So even to find out like what plane she was going to be able to take was so dramatic and so insane just to get those details. But, but why, knowing whether- but, but why didn't, like, this is her husband. Why would your husband not want you to know things? Like that's what's so perplexing. Why would he not want his wife included? She's the first lady. Melania is the first lady and she is number two in command. Melania is okay with what and how things work. 
even if it upsets her, she's going to go along with it. The way she puts her foot down is she just says, I'm not going. I will not be there. Her power is within herself to just tell them when they need her most to show up at a campaign or to show up at a rally. Nope, not doing it. And, you know, I was just going to say, to be completely honest, like he is the president of the United States. Like I hate him, but he also has people for that. He didn't hire the right people because he filled positions with his family. He didn't hire people to, to be, to have things organized, which is why she couldn't get, you couldn't get a budget and Melania couldn't get her schedule and things like that. They don't have any organization. Nothing good has come out of that administration. Not, but here's the thing too. Yes. A hundred percent what you just said, but additionally, as we all know, he hired the best of the best is that, you know, Ivanka and Jared, the, the number of staff that was allowed also, so many were given already to them that she didn't have any. And so what I really tried to do, which is create this like Lincolnian group of women in the East Wing to create like this bipartisan initiative about children and stay away from policy, stay away from the West Wing. And I mean, one of the names was children first, but because it was America first, at the time, she didn't want it. Then I wanted to speak up. Michelle Obama was, um, where's Michelle's? Uh, I don't know, speak out, I don't remember. Something, but, it, but everything, you know, when she came up with Be Best, I looked at her and I said, I didn't say she was illiterate. I said, it's illiterate. You know, people have written that I've said, oh, Stephanie called Melania illiterate. No, 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 however you want to take it, it's illiterate. And the reality is she did be best because she used her markers and wrote that out herself and no one could say she plagiarized it. Now, <laughs> now, what do you think of the fact that she has apparently not called Dr. Jill Biden, who's going to be the new first lady um, and has done nothing to help with the transition? Is that because Donald told her or because she just follows along? I mean, it's you know, historically not done that you don't, well, of course, everything he's doing is historically not done too, but. Look, it speaks to their character. It, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to look at a person's character. And I can't believe that I thought it was different than it actually is. However, um, who is Melania actually going to open the door for, for Joe Biden? There's no one in that office. There's nothing happening there. And traditionally, yes, like I don't know whether people offered or not, and I just didn't get the invite because people really didn't want me in the White House helping Melania, but I walked into empty offices with no paper, no pen. I didn't know where a thing was. So maybe she's doing it because, you know, maybe that's she felt that way when we went there. But the reality is you still call and ingratiate Dr. Biden and you know, invite her to the White House. Now, were they invited to the White House immediately? No, the Obamas didn't immediately send an invite. So, you know, and then we know that the Obamas is, you know, again, this all started with, with you know, to that, with, with, with that. Um, uh, before that, it started in 2000, it started at the um, dinner when, you know what I'm the talking about? Uh, yeah, that press dinner. 
um, right. when uh, Obama kind of mocked him a bit. Like he exactly. Him. That started it all. But the reality of it all is that Obama wins because Michelle Obama has been on so many magazine covers and that's why Donald's really pissed because Melania hasn't been on one. I mean, that's where, you know, there are certain things that Donald, you know, did just to get back at Obama. And it's interesting because when I spoke to Melania about that, um, again, I sort of didn't focus on it at all. I didn't even think that that was some, a, a question, but when she brought it up to me, then I said, well, why aren't you showing your papers? You know, it's the same thing. They are so hypocritical. They, 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 their expectation of what people should be doing for them, they would never do for others. You know, I wanted the golden rule. That was what I said to Melania. I said, Melania, do unto others as you wish for them to do unto you. That would have been the way to handle things, right? That would have been the phone call to invite Dr. Joe Biden properly to the White House. It's makes it makes sense now because look at who they are. The vacuous lack of empathy, lack of respect, lack of human. I, it's so hard to explain. It's very, it's an empty, empty vessel. And I don't even think that because it doesn't matter for her. I mean, did you see the video that she, about Be Best that she posted today on her uh, Twitter feed? It was a two and a, I think a two and a half minute video. And I may tell you, it was so little, like I said earlier, there was so little accomplished, yet there was so much hope. That video, like, unfortunately, none of her actions actually benefit anyone. So yes, she wanted to leave behind a legacy. She should have left behind a legacy. She had the opportunity to leave behind a legacy. And unfortunately, she did nothing. You know, before we wrap up here, I want to ask, um, General Mattis had said that Trump will be a man without a country, essentially. Um, what's next for Melania? What do you think is next for him? Well, that's a really interesting question because um, the reality is, is that I think many, many people that have witnessed the wrath of Donald Trump um, and watching that he not only incited violence to our own capital, but allowed rioters to go after our vice president, Mike Pence, who was so unconditionally supportive of him. That to happen shows you he will do whatever it takes to win it. He will win at any cost, no matter whose head he takes off. So for anyone to think that they're going to do business with a man like that, if that alone doesn't show you that he will throw everybody under the bus, everybody really needs to sort of wake up and get a reality check. I mean, I need one. I was, I, I believed it. I drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid in the beginning that Melania was going to make a difference. And I was there to, you know, the truth is Melania is, like I say, she, in, in, in Melania, she's albuming, you know, which is literally, she was creating scrapbooks of every trip she was going on and documenting every dinner that took place and every event that was happening. And that's what her book's going to be about. I mean, 
I discussed with her during that time frame that we still spoke about her book and about the truth is she, we, we had a really long conversation about it because she said that no one would actually even believe what the truth is, right? They would think it's fiction. And the reality is, is when you really know the players and the people around them, they're going to continue just doing what they do. Melania will be Melania Trump. She will dress beautifully and appear by his side. And Donald will, I think, embrace a group of people that will support him and follow him um, and create havoc. And um, I'm hopeful that, you know, there is a way to stop that, but the recklessness is there. And it's, like I said, at any cost to anyone else but them. So she, the fact she's not wrecked, she wouldn't, in your opinion, you don't think that the riots, the violence, any of that would rattle her or change her loyalty to her husband. She will still go off to Mar-a-Lago and she will support him as he continues to do probably more of that instigation. Bonnie, look at what she did. She came out five days after the riot and attacked me. And, it, and, and she was the victim, not the people that were killed, not the people that incited all of this. Her self-interest is so um, entitled to only herself that, you know, it's shocking to me when, and I, and I apologize, I don't remember her name, but when, you know, Barron's name is ever mentioned, you know, there's an immediate, uh, you know, she immediately comes out and has a, has a comment how, you know, children and, has she looked what her husband has done and what they've shown the children of our world, the chaos, the corruption, the criminality? I mean, lie, cheat, and steal. The cages, the cages. cages right? I mean, it's, 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 it is, it's mind-blowing. So no, she is, she is Donald Trump's other half. Wow. And that is the truth. And I had wish I had never met her. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much of a behind the scenes look at what it was like to be the previous, the ex-best friend of Melania Trump and you know what the Trumps are really like for those who still are wondering 